Hello, my name is Holly Owens, and welcome to Ed Up Ed Tech, the podcast that keeps you in the know about all the latest ed tech happenings. We interview guests from around the globe to give you deeper insights into the ed tech industry, the field of instructional design, and more. We're proudly a part of America's leading podcast network, the EdUp Experience. It's time to sit back and enjoy the latest episode of EdUp EdTech. Here's what's coming up on this episode. Community around education has always been a central part of my focus. Oh my goodness, I love that definition. Relationship is a technology. Listening is a state of being. It's a set of behaviors that are really critical, but then in the educational domain, it's a state of being. One of the things that's on the table for us that's being offered is the possibility of opening a full-time high school. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of Ed Up Ed Tech. My name is Holly Owens, and I'm your host. And today we have a fantastic person with us on the show that is going to tell us so many wonderful things about what they're doing. We have A.M. Bot, who is the founder and CEO of DAE. So, A.M., welcome to the show. Thank you, Holly. Thank you for, for having me here and I'm um, looking forward to our conversation. Me too. But before we get into all things DAE, I want to know about you. Tell me about yourself and how did you journey into this ed tech space? Well, okay, so I'm going to give you the longest possible version. Of, uh, I'm sorry, the, 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 longest timeline, <laughs> the longest timeline version of the story, but, but an abbreviated version of that timeline. March 6th, Monday would have been my father's uh, birthday. My father was uh, an immigrant to this country. I was an immigrant as well, but my father's an immigrant to this country. He decided as a young man that he wanted to be in America. Uh, there's a funny story around that too, but that's for a different podcast. And he came here, you know, classic story. Didn't know anyone. I'd obviously never been here. Didn't know anybody who had been here and uh, landed here. And there are three things that had the thing work. First was education. He was able to get himself into a program uh, into an engineering program, as it turns out. Having that, having that focus, having that uh, target uh, was the first thing that, that that had kind of life work here. The second was community. Again, he was an immigrant, a student visa. And there was this uh, community of professors and fellow students that sort of took him in and, and showed him the ropes and just helped him understand all the things that folks might take for granted. Uh, and then the third was, was uh, his willingness, courage, vulnerability, to say, uh, this is what I want life to be. This is what I'm willing to say the future is. This is what I'm willing to give my life energy for, right? So that journey for me has always been instructive. So we came, my mom and I came three years later, we were actually undocumented when we came. But growing up, I saw you know, the role that the uh, university played for him as the anchor and played for us as the anchor. Uh, we were able to stay because he had a student visa, right? And so school became the way we were able to stay in the country, literally, but then also became the catalyst to a life. That's the kind of, you know, longest term answer. Community around education has always been a central part of my focus from lived experience and then professionally as I, I moved into the world 
I spend most of my time on the corporate side doing adult development, a lot of executive development, a lot of work in Europe across the U.S., obviously, mainly in tech and pharmaceuticals and financial services. And, and throughout all that time, those three pillars, right, uh, create a space in which individuals can exercise the courage involved in reality to claim who it is they want to be, despite them not being that and having no basis for being that today, the content of education and community. So, so when, we, when we get into this, Ed, tech for me, the tech, for me, I'm, I'm going to be an oddball in your conversations, I think, because tech for me means <laughs> something very different than I think what, what it might mean uh, uh, normally for you. Yeah, that was we're, we're, def- we're going to get into that. We're going to yeah, get yeah, into yeah. that. Well, I, I really love your story. And I love your story about your dad and coming to the US. And you say it's, it's a common story, but I feel like every journey is different. It really, yeah, really is. Absolutely. Um, and that's one of the reasons I love doing this show is to hear and, and get people exposed to more of those journeys and how you got here. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. So being is it that you're a CEO and a founder, do you have a favorite like quote, an education related or otherwise that you can share with the audience that you refer back to maybe for inspiration? I'm not big on famous people. The kind of quote I'm giving you, it's more of a little passage. It's a book, a little book by James Kars called Finite and Infinite Games. And I was fortunate to have a professor who was sort of my mentor as an undergrad who knew Kars, uh, Kars passed uh, in the last couple of years and uh, brought me a first edition of that book and said, here, kid, this is for you. You're, you're going to love this. And um, among a, a thousand really provocative gems out of that book uh, is the following line. To be prepared against surprise is to be trained. To be prepared for surprise is to be educated. So what, what he's pointing to there is that you know most of what passes for education is training. It is a very useful but, but it is the development of the capacity to not be surprised in any domain, to be so prepared to know all there is to know. The ultimate you know, kind of training is you know everything there is to know about this process, this tool, this whatever it is, so that no matter what comes up, you're not surprised. You can fix it. You can deal with it. You can engage with it. And that's wonderful. But education for me is more of what, what Karst points to. It's to be prepared not against surprise, but pre- prepared for surprise, to be prepared in a way where uh, what you're seeking is the fundamentally unknown, and then you're prepared to engage with that. And you know, when I was 16, that was a luxury in the world based on how the world is structured. And these days it's survival, you know, to be prepared for surprise. So that's the quote and, a, and, a, and another long-winded sort of tie down to the quote. I wrote down the book. <laughs> I'm taking notes as you're talking because I don't want mm. to miss things. And also for myself, that's a really great passage. Um, yeah. And one we obviously haven't heard of, heard of before here on Ed Up at Tech. So thank you for sharing that. And that's a really good one. So, you know, along with that, the journey to being like a founder and CEO, mm. is there anyone who's inspired you along the way that you want to shout out? Oh, you know, Ralph Cariolo, that, that, that college professor is, you know, remains close to 40 years ago, but he remained one of the kind of seminal influences in my life. My, my grandfather, would, I would shout out in terms of my understanding of education, like what it is to actually engage with other human beings in uh, the context of development. Uh, you know, I knew him in India. He never came here. More about names that people might know. I wouldn't point to, to again, kind of common sources, I suppose, but, but people you might know. I think I think every human being who who aspires to do developmental work with others should read Kurt Vonnegut. I think oh, they should yeah. read uh, yeah. I think they should read Gene Roddenberry. I think they should read sources that aren't necessarily smart, although in those two examples they're very smart. 
but that we're deeply humane and understand that to be with other human beings the, 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 in a way that's productive and developmental, that the pivot point is not intelligence or tools, it is relationship. It is a deep connection to relationship and a deep connection to remaining humane. Yes, absolutely. People don't realize and this is why I love telling people stories on the show is like how much you as a founder and a CEO, you're not sitting up there in an ivory tower. You're here, you're helping, you want to inspire, you want to change. And I just love that so much. Fantastic. So now that we've gotten to know you a little bit more, and we know that you founded this company, DAE, based off of your experience, how would you personally define educational technology? The obvious uh, thing around educational technology is is the technology, it's the things. And we have an insane uh, and really, really useful collection of things, right? From LMSs, we're moving to Canvas. It's just an amazing platform. No, no, no plug intended there. I don't know if you have a Oh my goodness, for, uh... it's okay. <laughs> I'm huge bias for Canvas and the, the, right, the audience knows the audience knows it. So it's totally okay. fine to plug them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of things we use here, uh, given that we you know, focus on digital tracks. But the technology that I focus most on in terms of hiring faculty, in terms of developing faculty, is human technology. Relationship is a technology. We don't engage with it that way, but it is a technology. There's an operating system. There are um, you know, user standards. There's, there's all the things you can say about hard technology or, or about software you can say about human technology. And I think it is the most critical thing, not in training. In training, relationship is secondary. What's primary is the efficiency and accuracy of your curriculum and the expertise of your faculty, right? And there are many things which training is absolutely essential. You know, getting on a plane tomorrow, I'm not actually, but if I were getting on a plane tomorrow, the training of the mechanics, the precision by which they can execute repeatable tasks and ensure a a reliable outcome that does not deviate from the previous reliable outcome is absolutely critical. And the relationship that their instructors had to them was only of marginal importance. It was important, but it wasn't critical. They had to just, at bare minimum, uh, respect the instructor's technical expertise and tolerate them interpersonally, and it's good enough to get a good outcome training. In education, in, in which again, for me, is about helping a human being bring something out of themselves in a way where they are prepared for any surprise that you know, life throws at them. For that, the central technology is not curriculum or hard tools or digital software. It is the, the nature of the relate the nature and depth of the relationship that they have with the space holders of that educational space. So for me, educational technology, like if, if you were to walk into here and ask any of my people, what's the most important technology? It, it's relationship. It's the capacity and the desire and the willingness and the vulnerability to cultivate deep relationship with each other and of course with the uh, learners. Oh my goodness. I love that definition. Relationship is a technology is absolutely true. Like you said, because we have different personalities, we have different beliefs, mm-hmm. we have different. So it, it 100% is. And I've never thought about it that way before. That's really, really interesting. And, and I love that approach. So this is my retirement gig. I started this company as- This is your CEO. retirement gig, CEO and founder? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the idea wow. was I was doing the classic, you know, 90s uh, 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 movie thing, right? Like I came back to my hometown in New Haven where I landed. This, I was going to open a little school. There's going to be a nonprofit. 
we're going to keep it to 50, 75 kids and really just focus in on some neighborhood in New Haven where I grew up. And the thing just got away from me. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, got away from me because there's so much need for what we're doing. And so, yeah, now we're you know, 300 students, two campuses, about to open a third, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, the reason I say that is most of my adult life was spent in, on, you know, on the corporate side. And it was the same thing, Holly, you know, the, this technology of relationship. We, 22 years ago, partner and I launched um, a master's program, a degree program, uh, a graduate degree program in uh, leadership and uh, change. And at the time, it was one of the first three standalone leadership programs in, in the world, actually, uh, not just in North America. And, our, and prior to that, it was you know, either you had a, a psychology degree with a specialization in leadership, like an org psych degree, or you had a business degree. That was the more common. You had a business degree with a specialization in leadership. And our premise was and is that leadership is an art form and it belongs in the humanities. And again, what's critical is relationship. And so on the corporate side, what we tell people after working with them for a while is, listen, there's only two things we're working the only thing we're working on in, in these three years we spend together is relationship. And the only thing we're working with is listening. Uh, listening is another technology that's absolutely central. And it is not the, yes. active, yeah, the active listening. listening. Yes. So the active listening is critical, but it's still behavioral and psychological. I just published a little book. I published a, uh, a children's book for adults called Are You My Listener? And uh, we sort of get into it there. There's a state of being. Listening is a state of being. It's a set of behaviors that are really critical. But then in the educational domain, it's a state of being. It's I am listening. I am a space of listening for you. It's not what I'm doing. It's who I am for you. My point, though, is, again, on the corporate side, it's the same set of needs. You know, this technology, relationship, and listening. I'm over caffeinated today. I apologize. No, no, I'm absolutely loving everything you're saying here because this is totally different take that I have had on things like just working in academia. And I'm sure a lot of the audience can relate to this too. Working in academia, I was K through 12 and then I was hired for about 10 years and now I'm in corporate now with Amazon. But I Mm. love this, this, this perspective. It's, it's refreshing. It really is. All right, so you've gone into it slightly, but tell us more about DAE and really what makes your program unique. If you look at our back-end metrics, that makes us unique in, in a way that matters to funders and school districts, right? So we, in a town, in a state, and I imagine this is national metrics, sort of aligned to this where programs like ours have something in the neighborhood of 50 to 60% retention rates. We graduate 94% of the kids who come to our program and adult, actually we're even better on the adult side. And I say that to say, to pre-credentialize the relationship thing, because what makes us unique is when you come in, whether you're a high school student enrolling in a year-long program or an adult enrolling in one of our four-month programs, your first conversation with us and your first chunk of time with us has nothing to do with if you're you know, doing the year in software engineering, you have nothing to do with software engineering. What we're spending time on is uh, really grounding you in the idea that this year is not about taking you and fitting you to the curriculum, right? which is what standard you know, training is, right? Is, you yes. know, these are the set of skills, these are the set of, right? what this year is, is us fitting the curriculum to you. And so what that requires is that you step out on the ontological ledge. Now, I don't say that, I don't say ontological ledge to a high school sophomore. But, but that's, you know, that, that's the abbreviation <laughs> of a longer conversation that we have with them. It, you, know, you, you stepping out and declaring something about how you want your life to be that has no basis, that has no proof, that has no evidence, that you, you have no skill set for, that you have no right to say, and yet it's what you want your life to be about. 
And we spend a lot of time up front, uh, really just getting kids and adults comfortable with that conversation. And it's it's disheartening how few human beings feel licensed to be able to say, you know, to be able to speak what's in their heart in terms of what they want their life to be. Like they'll give you career things. They'll give you like, yeah, that that kind of rolls off. But to actually say, no, this is the impact I want to have in the world. Right. Uh, takes a little bit of work, right? So so that's what they're spending time. And that's the grounding for the year. And I think that's what makes us unique. Over the course of that year now, we are a space of listening for who you will become. And within that, you're getting tools, you're getting skills. We had our high school program recently certified by a university, by the state university system, actually, because we felt like we're probably doing university level work with these high school students. And they've awarded us a bunch of credits uh, for the kids when they complete the program. So they're going through hardcore work from a traditional you know, training classroom perspective. But the year is about you deepening internally and broadening externally your expression of what you want to use your time on the planet for and expressing all of that through, for example, websites, if you're in the software engineering program, right? That's, I think, what makes us unique is our emphasis is not, it's not even learner-centric because learner-centric implies the learner today. Uh, it is learner-future-centric is, is who is it that I want to evolve into that I have no right to evolve into? That's where our focus is. And then we you know, kind of help them build skills in whatever track that's used as a container for them to evolve into that human being. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was stuck back on when you said speaking from your heart, because it's kind of like when people ask you, what are your hobbies? Mm. (laughs) And your hobbies are typically the things that you're really passionate about. So it sounds like you're taking that perspective and implementing this into your programs. And it's really difficult to answer that question. I don't know about you, but for me sometimes, because I'm like, I just love working. I like podcasting. I like posting on LinkedIn. I like connecting with people. Those are my hobbies. People are like, work can't be a hobby. I'm like, but it's different than work. Oh, I'm so glad you're on the show. This is fantastic. So tell us a little bit more about, yeah, I just want to know a little bit more. Like you say, you have a high school program that's that's approved by an institution. You have adult programs and things. So how Mm -hmm. often are you like, is it enrolling all the time or is there certain times of the year when you enroll kind of like colleges do? So how does that all work? Yeah, on the high school side, formally students can enter in September, January, or July. So we run year round. Kids sign up for a year, meaning a calendar year not just an academic year, but they can start in, in any one of those three quote-unquote semesters, September, January, uh, July. In practice, though, uh, there are midpoints within semester, given how we, you know, how we instruct, uh, it, 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 it's feasible for students to enter. So we will sometimes have small groups of students enter maybe in March or in uh, end of October timeframe, but primarily it's July, uh, January, and September are the three main entry points. The adult program uh, we've devised a neat little model on the adult side because, you know, adult learners, there are a lot of life circumstances. There's childcare and there's transportation. And it's very easy for, for, for somebody uh, in that situation to fall off of a program because they had a week where they just couldn't get childcare. In most places, that means they're either radically behind or they have to wait for the next quote-unquote semester or the next cohort. So we run cohorts uh, uh, entering every two weeks. It's a four-month program, but there's enrollment every two weeks. And so what happens is if you're in you know, cohort three and two months into your program, you have a childcare issue and you need to miss a week, great. You're going to be in cohort four and you're going to be in essence a week ahead of them. And so you'll be able to kind of get a running start back up to where you left off, right? 
So there's always an opportunity to, uh, if life comes up, drop a week and pick up with the cohort behind you and pick up exactly where you left off and not lose any time. So, so the adult one, you know, another long-winded answer. I definitely had too much coffee today, Holly. I apologize. On the adult side, the admissions no, every two weeks you're, around. You're doing wonderfully. You're explaining this and I'm, I'm sitting here learning. I have copious notes, copious notes. <laughs> you're doing great. Wonderful. Yeah. So that, 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 that's a structure for, 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 for both of those in terms of enrollments. Good. And I'm, thank you for clarifying that. Cause I know like with different programs, it's really important that people know when, where they're at in the stages of their life. Yep. We, we, like you said, when things are happening, there's childcare, there's all kinds of different responsibilities. So you're doing a lot of wonderful things at DAE. Can you share anything with us that's happening in the upcoming year? Some goals that you have? I think one of the things that's on the table for us that's being offered is the possibility of opening a full-time high school. And so it would be our philosophy. How cool. Um, I love of, it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and so we're, I'm sort of weighing it, right? It, it, what it becomes is a state of Connecticut has 17,000 high school kids. Uh, stat, I just saw it's a brand new stat. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure it's you know been like this uh, for far too long. We have 17,000 high school kids uh, who are juniors and seniors who have no plan after high school. Haven't even begun to have a clarity about what they're doing after high school. College, work, they don't know. You know what happens to those kids? You know, they drift around and, and um, you know, maybe land in some retail work for a while. Not that there's anything wrong with retail work, but they land there not because they want to be, but because they have to be, right? And that, that's problematic. We're at a point where we think about, do we go super deep in a geography? Uh, open a high school is super deep, right? We get kids uh, for an entire four-year stretch, but we can't do 17,000 of them. So do we do that or do we keep the model we have and we are going to be in every city in Connecticut? I'm, I'm, I'm committed to that and, and we'll do that um, over the next five to seven years. Uh, I've got some uh, inquiries from two other states, actually. A couple of foundations have reached out. So one of those two things is coming. Either we're going to be opening up out of state or we're going to open a high school in the next uh, couple, three years. So that, that's you know, part of what's coming next. The other thing that I'm really interested in, Ali, um, as I said, for, for 22 years, we ran a master's program. We worked with executives from IBM and J&J and Facebook. And I'm really seriously talking with the idea of reopening that program for educators. I like it. See, yeah, <laughs> seeing if there's an appetite for uh, developing educators with this philosophy. Oh my goodness. So many great things. That obviously means you're going to have to come back on the show in like a year and give us an sure. update. I really like these goals that you have and I can't wait to see what happens. All right. So we're coming up on the end of the episode. You shared a lot of information with us. It's a lot of good things. I, I know the audience is probably taking notes and they're like, oh, where do I go to find out more about the AE? But before we wrap things up, I want to know, is there Anything that we miss that you'd like to share with the audience? And then tell us what does the future of education look like? So anything mm. that we miss that you want to share and then tell us about the future. Sure. In terms of miss, no, I don't think there's anything for listening. I, you know, this thing about relationship and, lis uh, and listening um, is not academic. It's not theoretical. And what's the relationship you have with yourself as you're listening to this thing, right? Are you listening as a uh, tape recorder? Are you listening as a uh, processor? Or are you um, listening in a way that misses everything we've said, but catches what it is you have to say? We all have music that like just moves us, right? So like, yeah, I've got music like that, right? Like the uh, 
Miles Davis is in a silent way. I put that on and I'm just, you know. I love but, music. It gets me, yeah. it gets me excited and in my zone every morning. Yeah. But now if, if I listen to that album, right, and if I had somebody else listen to that album, they figure out uh, who the band members are, the specific instruments that they're playing, you know, the tempo, they, they understand, the more they work to understand it, the more they missed it. So, you know, listening to stuff like this, if you're out there listening, there might be stuff in here that's worth understanding, but what becomes more important is what's the music you hear that then you can rip off of, separate and apart from any content or any anything you can understand. You know, that, that's right. really lasting, I believe. Yeah. So that's so that's so cool, and I love music, and it teach it's a universal language for sure. Yeah. And tell us about the future. Yeah, tell us. Anybody ask you anything right now about the future of blind, like the future of potato chips? A, a reasonable answer is AI, because in some way uh, uh, there is going to be an impact. But 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 I'll give you I'll give you our answer. When I first started teaching it, I, I'm also on faculty in a graduate psychology program at traditional university. Nice. Um, um, the, the yeah. So 22 years ago, when I first started teaching there, the first group of students asked if they could meet outside of class because these were weird conversations I was having with, having with them, but they were really interested. And so we formed this little group uh, called Tuesday Tea. Tuesday because that was the one night this group of students could meet. And tea because I, I collect teas. Um, back 22 years ago, it was a tougher thing to do. You had to travel to do it. These days, you just go on Amazon and get very rare stuff. But I'd serve tea and we'd have these conversations. That group is now about 400 students and alumni. And, and, and some of them are in their 40s now. And, and so I tell you that um, as my answer to what the future of education is, if listening and relationship are at the core of, of, of my understanding of education, community is the container. The classroom isn't the container, it's the community. And communities aren't bound by time. Uh, our programs here, if you come into a four-month program here, you got, you got a ticket for life. You literally have a ticket for life. And people come back, it's crazy. People come back and just hang out and mentor and I just you know I want to come back and as a place to work and so I don't know if this will actually happen but if I had to design the future of education it would be the understanding that that what happens in the container of what I'm calling education deep relationship it is you know criminal and, and profane to end it with a certificate uh that, that what, what gets formed what the residue of that is is a community that that, that, that should have a lifelong access commitment and uh, engagement to it. Uh, and this notion that, that education is these three years, these four years, these six months, to me makes no sense. And that what happens in the container of education is the formation of community that we yeah. should um, support for a lifetime. My gosh, I love that because it doesn't end. I always feel like the, the, the learning doesn't end at the degree or the certification. And you have the credential, but the expertise comes in the real world application mm. of what you've learned. That's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, well, I'm looking forward to the future. <laughs> I'm so glad that you were able to come on and share all this with us. Yeah. I really appreciate your, your, your uh, offering the time and indulging my ramblings. Uh, of course it's not rambling. Give yourself more credit <laughs> than that. You have a lot of structured information and things that people are definitely going to absorb yeah. and everything you talked about is going to be in the show notes. So they can connect with you out on LinkedIn, learn more about DAE. Yeah. It's all going to be there. So thank you so much. I am. Absolutely. Thank you, Holly. You've just experienced another amazing episode of EdUp EdTech. 
Be sure to visit our website at edupedtech.com to get all the updates on the latest edtech happenings. See you next time.